welcome to a new episode of Mediterranean Sustainability Partners. I'm your host, Ellen Wasalina. In this new episode on the tripartite peace agreement between Azerbaijan, Armenia, and Russia, I interviewed Neil Watson on February 4th. Now, Neil is an international journalist with 25 years experience of writing on a wide range of topics, ranging from technology and architecture to geopolitics. Since 2009, he has focused on the history, culture, and politics of the South Caucasus, and particularly on Azerbaijan. Neil has also edited numerous academic books on Azerbaijani literature and culture, and regularly appears on Azerbaijani and Kazakh TV. I hope you'll enjoy this new episode. Neil Watson, thank you so much for joining me. Well, thank you for inviting me. It's a pleasure to see you again. How are you doing? Yes, I'm doing absolutely fine. It's a lovely sunny day here in Acton in Suffolk, which is about 100 kilometers from London. Lovely. Well, thank you for joining me. It's a real pleasure to speak with you and to see you again and on this occasion of our uh, video conference. Now, if I may, I'd just like to read the brief bio uh, that you sent me, um, which says a little bit about who you are. Uh, so you are Neil Watson, and you are an international journalist with 25 years experience of writing on a wide range of topics, ranging from technology and architecture to geopolitics. Since right. 2009, Neil, you have focused on the history, culture, and politics of the South Caucasus, and particularly on Azerbaijan. Neil, you have also edited numerous academic books on Azerbaijani literature and culture and regularly appear on Azerbaijani and Kazakh TV. All right. Um, and so uh, as we have discussed, Neil, when we prepared this conference, um, I'd just like to um, set the stage a little bit uh, with the opening uh, title of what is the significance of the second Armenian-Azerbaijani Nagorno-Karabakh conflict and what are its international geopolitical implications. But before, I probably should ask you, Neil, what's the latest news that you've been hearing around this? Well, um, first of all, thanks for inviting me to speak about this very timely topic. Um, Pleasure. Um, the, um, the, the, the current situation is that um, obviously, as a, it's arguable if anybody actually ever really wins a war because there's deaths that happen on both sides. Um, but uh, with Azerbaijan regaining its territories, we are seeing more and more footage of the liberated territories. Um, and it's actually, we're seeing what kind of work has to be done there. In most cases, um, it seems as if that nothing was actually done to these territories during the years of occupation. Um, obviously, there was the original war, which finished in 1994. Uh, many of the territories have fundamentally lain untouched since that time, other than the, um, the, the occupiers actually building some kind of very basic habitation. So we're beginning to see the footage actually come back from there. But uh, the other thing that we're seeing at the moment is uh, the realities of the situation on the, uh, the, the border between Azerbaijan and Armenia. 
um, and obviously that's being maintained by Russian peacekeeping forces, but with Turkish oversight. And we're actually seeing the opening of the physical, um, the, the physical stations that are being manned by both sides to maintain the peace. Um, and uh, going to see how things actually work out for the next five years, during which the Russian peacekeepers uh, will be in place. So that's that's the current news on the ground. Okay, well that's good. Thank you so much for updating on us. Now, as we've structured this interview, um, eight questions thereabout, and then two sections, which I we've agreed on, of course. So I'd like you to talk to us about the actors. There's three questions that I have for you, and then the effects on the region, the economy, and relations. So let's start with the first one. Um, tell us about the actors involved and the role they played, which seems like a basic question, but I know you can go into much more detail, perhaps. Well, uh, I think that uh, we don't want to go too too far back into history because ultimately we're all right. Romans if we do that. But um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but the, the, the fact is that we do have to admit something that is very true and very actual, um, and that is uh, the fact that um, if we go back far enough, we see that the the Russian Tsarist Empire. Um, and the Soviet Union deliberately moved around um, Armenians from various parts of its territory to try and stop the force of the Greater Turkestan existing. Um, and they were moved to, uh, obviously, to Nagorno-Karabakh and to many parts of what is modern-day Armenia. Um, and, uh, and that means that um, we, uh, we have a situation where we had a situation under the Russian Empire where there was uh, Armenians and Azerbaijanis living alongside each other. And over the 20th century, um, it seems that there were a great proportions of Armenians actually live on, living in uh, Nagorno-Karabakh um, than Azerbaijanis. But nonetheless, it was an autonomous oblast actually under the former Soviet Union. Um, and, and that is uh, fundamentally why there were separatist groups um, in Nagorno-Karabakh who tried to take advantage several times during the 20th century. Um, but then most notably when the Soviet Union was collapsing in 1988, um, actually uh, sought to uh, gain the so-called independence of Nagorno-Karabakh um, from see. Azerbaijan. And um, the, the, the dying embers of the Soviet Red Army, they started to capitalize upon this, uh, supporting um, Armenia and uh, they actually saw that um, also they did not want to lose control over Azerbaijani oil and gas. We must not forget that Azerbaijan That's supplied 70% of the petrol um, for the Soviet Red Army, for example. Yes. Um, so, uh, and it was regarded by Hitler as being the jewel in the crown. Bakker oil was regarded as being the That's jewel right. in the crown of, uh, of the Soviet Union. Um, there's Indeed. some very famous footage of Hitler himself um, stating that and actually dividing a cake, which uh, which had got Baku oh, well. on it. Oh, so, um, so we, so that is uh, what what happened in from 1988 to 1994. Um, the Armenians, supported by the uh, the Red Army, and also what came immediately after the fall of the Soviet Union, um, actually sought to uh, expel. Azerbaijanis undertake ethnic cleansing to expel Azerbaijanis from Nagorno-Karabakh, uh, but not just from Nagorno-Karabakh, from the seven surrounding regions, which acted as a kind of buffer zone. 
Um, Azerbaijan was fundamentally on its own at that time. It only recently gained its independence. There had been, um, a, under, under Soviet Union, unfortunately, it never derived an awful lot of benefit from its oil and gas wealth. Um, so um, it, uh, we ended up with a situ very unhappy situation uh, with the uh, ceasefire in 1994, um, which saw um, uh, the ceasefire being signed and four UN Security Council resolutions being passed uh, against um, Armenia, as, um, requesting its immediate expulsion of its troops from the occupied territories. So that's mm -hmm. from the seven surrounding regions and Nagorno-Karabakh, which equates to 20% of Azerbaijani territory. But uh, um, unfortunately, um, these uh, UN Security Council resolutions were never actually ever enforced. Um, now, Azerbaijan's greatest friend in the region has been always Turkey. Uh, Turkey, um, they share lots of linguistic links with cultural links. Um, obviously, Azerbaijan is a Turkic country, and uh, the, yes. uh, the former president of the country, who I believe you met, um, Heydar yes. Aliyev, he actually said that, um, that we are one nation in two states. But um, as, as, so that meant that Turkey actually closed the border um, between Armenia and itself. And then the and also the border was closed with obviously with Azerbaijan over the uh, the effects of the conflict, which meant that Armenia became ever more reliant on Russia, and its own diaspora for its support going forward. Also, Armenia um, gained support from Iran, um, and I know it may seem very strange. You know, Iran is obviously the Islamic Republic, um, yes. but uh, but and Armenia claims to be one of the uh, the oldest Christian countries. But the fact is that the northern part of Iran um, is actually um, Azerbaijani, um, and it's known yes. as South Azerbaijan territory, yes. uh, the, the capital of which is Tabriz. Yes. Um, and and there is a great um, South Azerbaijani independence movement um, because the, the the division of two two thirds of Azerbaijan ending up in what was the Persian Empire in Iran and one, one third actually ending up in what was the Russian Empire and became Soviet Union was something that was purely arbitrary because of the, uh, the Treaty of Turkmeniki in uh, I think 1824 if memory serves me correctly. Mm -hmm. so, um, so that means that um, Armenia has always had Iran on its side and has received weapons from Iran. Um, it's always had uh, Russia on its side. It has Russian military bases on its territory. Yes. Uh, two, if memory serves me correctly, the main one being Gumarai. Um, so um, there was a state of Ampas, uh, which continued for nearly 30 years. And, uh, and that meant that we saw, actually it was never entirely frozen conflict. Uh, usually it's referred to as one of the great frozen conflicts of the former Soviet Union. As a matter of fact, it went far, far, further than that because obviously we had conscription happening on both sides throughout those 30 years um, all young men at the age of 18 automatically have to enlist in the military um, Azerbaijan itself spent uh, billions of dollars actually on arming itself and but it was the Russian support that uh, that really was on the side of the Armenians and uh, so people were getting killed on both sides um, almost every day. I was being, I've been reporting about this for a decade, as I said to you, wow. and, uh, and I saw that the deaths happening, but predominantly amongst the military, 
but also lots of civilians getting caught up in it. Um, um, particularly in every war. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. They are the pawns in this terrible game. And mm. uh, we see quite poor women and children are actually living on the front line, particularly in Azerbaijan, being killed by sniper fire, by grenades, by mines that uh, have mm. never been cleared away from the original conflict. So it was a rather unhappy situation of no peace, but no war happening for 30 years. And uh, the OAC Mintz Group, um, which uh, was co-chaired by, well, in fact, it still exists, um, is co-chaired by Russia, France, and the US. Um, they uh, were actually tasked with trying to establish negotiated peace between the sides. But um, the problem with that was that all those three countries have a very large Armenian uh, diaspora population and were rather the wrong choices for the role. And over 26 years, there was a lot of talking, there was a lot of negotiation, there was a lot of condemnation, particularly of the civilian deaths, but nothing actually ever happened. So um, we had a situation uh, in 20, uh, 2016, um, when there was a four-day war between the sides, when Azerbaijan did gain back um, some small but significant territory. Yes. Significant territory. Um, but uh, things really escalated in July last year, which saw Armenia actually firing on uh, the civilian town of Tovuz, which is near uh, the border between the countries. And I think we need to contextualize that because previously all the leaders of Armenia had been born in Karabakh themselves. They had a vested interest in that region sure. and maintaining control over it. Um, and uh, most notably, uh, Serge Sergisian, who was the previous president of the country, um, he actually um, was one of the military leaders uh, during the original conflict and one of the major architects of what's known as the Kojli Massacre, which was the worst single atrocity of the conflict, which saw over 600 civilians killed in 1992. Um, the uh, Pashinian, when uh, pa um, Nikol Pashinian became the prime minister of the country um, a, few, a couple of years ago, in 2018, um, he did not come from the Karabakh cop background. So he actually felt that he needed to prove himself uh, to the Armenian population and needed and also he made the mistake of actually becoming vehemently anti-Russian. So that meant that he pitched his uh, country into a war um, on, uh, on the 23rd of September last year without any Russian support. Now it's agreed that uh, they were using Russian arms, that the, the troops had received Russian training, but nonetheless, Russia itself did not actually give its support for the conflict, although it did not stop it happening. And I personally think that there is a reason behind that because um, Azerbaijan has recently launched its Southern Gas Corridor, which is going to take Azerbaijani gas uh, to Europe. And yes. uh, that's, that's actually reducing the hegemony of uh, many countries on uh, on uh, on Russian Gazprom, and that is why it stood back and let them fight it out. So that hmm. to, to set a scene, that is exactly what happened for the following forty four days. Oh, you sort of anticipated my my you know, future <laughs> questions, which you know just from seeing the flyer that I prepared for this conference that 
you know, I had to put those pipelines on there. And, and of course, it would we'll be come back to that in more detail. Key, yes. key importance. All right. So you've sort of touched a little bit on that, but I wanted to ask you in the second question, you know, how did the international community respond to the second conflict of the second war? Well, I think that we're all agreed that... And then, um, sorry, if I yes, may, sure, um, go ahead. and, and yeah. then maybe go, go into how the media reported it as well, because I know you have some slides you wanted to show us. That, that's that's right, I do. Um, I, I think that uh, we're all rather agreed that um, it... Uh, it was rather disappointing on the whole. Um, the uh, the international community did the obvious things. There were condemnations that came out from the OAC, the UN, the Council of Europe and so forth about the escalation of the conflict, but very, very little was done to actually uh, do anything about that. And I think that is because the region still remains very badly understood um, uh, to actually understand the relationship of the former Soviet republics to Russia, and of course, Russia is now regarded as being uh, one of the big bad wolves. Um, so uh, to a certain extent, I feel that the international community decided it was actually an issue between them. And there's also the fact that um, Azerbaijan actually is officially a secular country, um, but it is a Muslim majority population, certainly has a Muslim yes. heritage although it has Christians, Jews, and other yes. religious uh, minorities and many ethnicities actually living on its soil. Yes. True. Um, whereas Armenia, as we all know, is a completely Christian country. In fact, it's a mono-ethnic, mono-religious country, uh, which mm -hmm. is home to the Gregorian Church, which is one of the most ancient uh, forms of Christianity. Yes. Um, so um, the fact is that um, we ended up with um, a region, uh, conflict in a region that's not that well understood internationally unfortunately I agree between a, a broadly Islamic and a completely Christian country and I think that that really affected um, the emphasis placed upon it um, uh, placed upon the conflict that was happening despite the fact that, that for the very very first time uh, the Armenians were actually bombing civilian cities and towns uh, most noticeably, they actually fired a bomb, and I'm going to uh, get the pronunciation wrong, Minkashabir, which um, is far away from the conflict zone, but is also home to one of the biggest reservoirs and hydroelectric power plants in the country. And if that had been hit, um, then it would have, first of all, wiped out the power to large swathes of the country, but also had the potential to submerge thousands of houses. Sure. So um, so it was a very um, terrible uh, situation that came to pass um, when the war was taking place. And unfortunately, um, it was not reported on particularly well. And I think there's several reasons for that. Um, I think, first of all, um, the Armenians, uh, because of the so-called events of 1915, they have diasporas in many different countries around the world, particularly in France and the US. Um, and that means that you've got many second, third, fourth generation Armenians who are actually living, working, and also um, they are ensconced in media um, as well in those countries. Mm -hmm. And that means that automatically uh, the media is rather predisposed to them. First, and, and also secondly, um, obviously, if they are living in those countries, they actually have votes. And, uh, and at the time of American president presidential elections, a French election that's not that far off and so forth. Yes. It's Coming very, soon. very important to, <laughs> yeah, exactly, to get those people on side. 
so I think that uh, we ended up in a situation where the uh, certainly many major countries of the world ended up becoming pro-Armenian without necessarily and trying to actually understand the conflict in religious terms, whereas of course it is not a religious conflict, it's a purely territorial conflict. So um, I actually, understanding that we were speaking uh, from, or at least you're speaking from Paris, um, yes. I've got a broad selection of, um, of media articles that came out during the course of the war which gives some idea of uh, the kind of, of issues that were being dealt with at the time. So if you'll just bear with me a minute, I will just open my folder. I might mention while you're doing that is there is a large, you know, large division even here in France between um, and a big discussion about Islam and uh, polarization too on religious issues and laïcité. So it's, um, it's it's polarizing issues and if you even look in the united states as well um the, the, there's this religious um aspect uh, of the conservative uh, christians or the evangelical christians uh, now with a catholic president religion has really come up very high on everybody's radar and uh, it's very present going to be very present i must say um, in these upcoming french elections yes uh, uh, in 20 you know in two years time already uh, we're almost there and then um, in um, in other countries around where uh, you see religion really um, becoming a major issue in in some of these countries yeah, most certainly, and uh, I think that there, uh, one of the implications of uh, Mr. Trump and the, uh, the drift to the general right, and also because of yes. economic problems that have uh, come to pass because of COVID, which I might yes. add is one of the other reasons why the conflict was not reported on um, in a particularly fair way, because uh, there are acres of... Uh, completely overshadowed by the uh, by, by this, everything this else too. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Neil, I must say, and you're absolutely right, and that'll come in my fourth question. Actually, <laughs> you're anticipating <laughs> yes. a little bit. That's yes. great. That's absolutely great. Right. Let me show you some of these um, these slides. So I think I can share the screen sure. now, can't I? So just bear yes. with me a minute. Um, yes. So. Right. Can you see that? No. No. Okay. Let's let's see what's happening. So you're allowed to share your screen. There okay. we are. There we go. Right. That's better. So this was one from the BBC. The BBC proved to be unfortunately no longer um, unbiased. If it's you know it's one well, point we're, here. Neil, Neil, we're not seeing we're not seeing your your article. Ah. We're just being just right. Um, so I wonder what's happened there. I don't know. Not sure. Well, before. Ah, right. Let's try opening it here. <laughs> no, no, it's not working, is it? Oh well, it was working when we tried it earlier. Yes. And you can't see that either, can you? Right. No, I see a split screen of your your desktop with the with the documents on it. Right. Um, Should we try it again? Yes. yes. New share. Okay. So I'll say stop participants sharing. May I? Yes, of course. And then let's let's start again. Yes. All right. Okay. So you should be able to share now. 
Right, let's try that. So I've got... For some reason, it takes us to. That's too bad. Right. No. Yeah, you, yeah, yeah. You need to fill the screen. There we go. There we go. Right. So you've got you've got one there. That well, we got. Yes, there in the yes, end, yes, yes. We? Here we go. So Excellent. yes. So here we are. Uh, this is France Culture, um, Nagorno-Karabakh, majority population of Armenians proclaimed its independence in 1991, but um, this uh, this mountainous region in the, the South Caucasus is being, uh, uh, what's convoité? Convoité is desired or, you know. Desired wanted. by, wanted or desired by neighboring yeah. Azerbaijan. Yeah. Um, and uh, it says about it being um, it's not no, less Armenian, Armenian by its history. history, culture, and its peoples. And its people, yeah. Population, okay. I should say. So, uh, France Culture is a radio station, by the way. Yes. Yeah. And uh, for those of you who don't know it, can you see this one? I'll just yes, yes. bring it out. So, yes. this is the, uh, the BBC one, uh, which is about the alleged Syrian mercenaries. This was a, a story that came up time and time and time again. Um, where it was alleged that Turkey was taking Syrian mercenaries and supplying them to Azerbaijan uh, to actually uh, fight on the Azerbaijani side, which was completely ridiculous. It was never substantiated. Um, there was never any evidence to that effect. And in fact, I did a little bit of research myself to try yes. and find out where the original source was. It was hmm. very muddy, but it did seem to come from an Armenian journalist, ultimately. I see. Um, and uh, this is another one from Demand. Nagorno-Karabakh, um, the endless war for three Armenian veterans. So that was one that was very much um, on the Armenian side. Um, Le Monde again, uh, in Nagorno-Karabakh, these videos of uh, prisoners of war haunt the families. So this was about some uh, videos allegedly show maltreatment of Armenian prisoners of war by Azerbaijanis. Um, again, mm -hmm. these these were never actually substantiated. The source was never verified, but because it fits into uh, the concepts of Islamophobia um, and uh, jihad and things of that nature, uh, so it was very these... rife. I must say, in the French press at that time, I see the date on your fifth of December. There was. You know, high discussion time too about Islam, you know, Islam, Islamism. Um, it was, you know, quite, quite high on the agenda. Uh, it said that the, uh, the, the European Court of um, Human Rights was, um, was, was going to, you know, was going to deal with this yes. case. Is that? Denou denouncing the maltreatment of Armenian soldiers by the Azerbaijani forces that have been filmed and diffused on social media. Um, okay. and, and so, uh, and it says that the Human Rights, rights is going to uh, it's going to investigate these many requests. So yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. All right. Um, and uh, one of the worst offenders was the Guardian, uh, which was traditionally it's a left-wing newspaper. Um, yes. In I think we might have just lost it there for a second, but uh, there we are uh, in the UK. But um, again, very much on the uh, the Armenian side. This actually shows one of the, uh, the 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 final things that happened is that obviously Azerbaijan regained its territories, 
um, and then the Armenians decided to adopt a scorched earth policy as they fled. They took everything, they ransacked their own houses, and they destroyed their houses, but not just the houses, the um, the forests and the fields as they left. Oh dear. Oh dear. Um, that's, that's often the case though in wartime when you know people are evacuating or leaving their homes, they burn everything. It's classical tactic. Oh, it is when there's such hatred, when there's such hatred. Yes. Um, and they know that they're not going back themselves. So, uh, and we, you know, we particularly saw this with Nazi Germany, which uh, decided, yes. decided to destroy, in fact, they nearly destroyed Paris. Um, yeah. Planned, their plans to blow up Paris um, when uh, when they left. And, and the only reason it didn't happen was because that they, uh, um, one of the German commanders saw that there was nothing to, to, that would be done to save his country from defeat by doing so. So mm. it's quite extraordinary. Yes. Um, and as you say, Macron, uh, very much going with the prevailing wind, um, proclaiming constantly his friendship um, for uh, Armenia because of the, mm -hmm. uh, the widespread Armenian diaspora in, in France. Right. Um, and this is from the uh, the Arab media. Mm -hmm. um, again, all about the Syrian fighters. This is something that went uh, went everywhere at the time. Mm. And then the T Daily Telegraph, which is a right wing newspaper in the UK. Mm -hmm. This was another thing that uh, came up quite often about Azerbaijan allegedly develop uh, dropping cluster bombs, which. Uh, um, continually in the media it was made out that Armenia, uh, Azerbaijan had actually uh, reignited the conflict um, and of course cluster bombs are forbidden, they're fundamentally like small landmines which children oh, get yeah. hold of for years to come um, and their implications are very long lasting, very widespread and uh, again there was no evidence to say that Azerbaijan had ever actually done this but because it went with the prevailing wind, it was something that was explicitly banned. Um, it was something that went everywhere into the, the mass media, even media that never ever normally reports on that region at all actually brought hmm. this up as being a war crime. So uh, I will stop screen sharing now. So I'm moving Thank you. And that gives me the perfect segue to the effects on the region. And that last image is vivid, um, the, the economy. Uh, what are the economic and social reverberations of resolving this conflict? You saw there, uh, I guess it was a store with broken windows. Yes. Um, what can you tell us? Well, the fact is that, um, you know, the, the, the actual region, as I say, has been very much neglected over the last 26 years. Mm. Um, so, um, so it's... Uh, but also what was left was being destroyed as, as the people left. So that means mm -hmm. that Azerbaijan now has to do a massive rebuilding exercise. Mm -hmm. So it's gone from a situation where um, it was actually housing approximately 1 million internally displaced persons in camps wow. across Azerbaijan to now having mm -hmm. to di divert its resources to keeping those people happy where they are for the time being, happy and healthy for the time being, but right. also to rebuilding um, these uh, these regions of the country, which they've got nothing. They've got no infrastructure. They've got no schools. Um, civilian and public buildings have all been destroyed. No proper roads. So um, they have to start uh, start from scratch for actually to rebuild 
uh, to rebuild these regions in the modern way. Um, and uh, Is this going to be so a binational effort then, if they come together to agree to build together, build up this region back together? And do you have any idea of the cost? No, we don't know exactly what the cost is going to be because okay. obviously what will be built now is different to what would have been there in the tail end of the Soviet Union. Um, so, but it's going to be bit, obviously billions of dollars that have to be spent. Can imagine? Um, Can imagine? Even in roads or infrastructure, like you were saying. I mean, if there's, you know, again, if no, there's no mobility and people can't move around and get, you know, to markets or business or, or to work, I can't imagine that there's any train lines or, or you know, infrastructure, city infrastructure. Um, what can you tell us? What 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 are the, what are the provisions? Have you seen anything? Well, uh, in, you know, at the moment, they're literally just uh, going to the territory to see what there is or is not there, uh, quite frankly, okay. and making an assessment of it. But obviously, mm -hmm. plans are being made at the moment by the uh, by the Azerbaijani government. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, that, that's one of the things that came out in the meeting in, uh, in January between yes. uh, Pashinyan, President Aliyev of Azerbaijan and uh, Russian President Putin was the yes. fact that they were going to put together working parties to actually, amongst other things, rebuild the region, rebuild the roads and so forth, which either never existed or have now been severed uh, by the most sure. recent conflict. Um, but um, Azerbaijan is looking for partnership. Um, it's, uh, it's certainly never been afraid to actually go beyond its national borders. Obviously, Turkey uh, will play an integral role in this, but also one of its other great friends is Israel. Um, so uh, there's every chance that Israel will be involved in the rebuilding work. And of course, the UK. You know, the UK, because of its involvement in oil and gas extraction um, since the signing of the contract of the century in 1994, um, yes. it means that the UK particularly is, is going to play an integral role in rebuilding and revitalizing this region and also to installing some, uh, um, maybe some more modern aspects such as renewable energy and so forth. So, uh, well, you just gave cool. me the perfect segue. <laughs> <laughs> just a perfect segue because, um, of course, my question was, is there like going to be an investment conference that's going to be set up, you know, how we often do and we did for Afghanistan? Is there going to be like, in, in, I can imagine in London, a conference you know, a donators conference, you know, to contribute to the, to the, you know, after the war effort sort of thing, like we did with um, Afghanistan. And then, of course, secondly, as you just touched on, energy is a major issue with, as you can see from my flyer with those three pipelines yes. uh, going westward. Um, and, and then uh, I believe you said that there was uh, some nuclear, uh, a nuclear plant that, or maybe that needs to be secured or what, what's the energy situation there? You know, the country as well. Yeah. Well, first of all, if we come to the, the final one that you mentioned there, which is the uh, the nuclear power plant, that is one of the major issues. And by the way, this shows how Armenia has actually um, had disbenefits from being involved in this conflict, because mm -hmm. our, um, most of Armenia's power comes from the Metsamore nuclear power plant, which, if memory serves correctly, was built in 1976, using okay. the same model as Chernobyl, which meant that it does I not see. have a uh, containment vessel. Um, and it's also on a seismic zone. So there's every potential that one day this is going to go sky high and the radioactive effects are going to affect a large swathe of that part of the world for many, many years to come. Furthermore, Azerbaijan did not fire on any civilian territories um, during the conflict. If it had, 
that nuclear power plant would have been at, in jeopardy. And that would have been, the effects of that would have been too terrible to mention. Sure, sure. Um, and uh, with regard to um, the, uh, the, 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 the new pipeline, the Southern Gas Corridor, which of course comprises Yes. Um, uh, three pipelines which go from yes. uh, from the Chardonnay's to uh, yes. field in the the Caspian Sea. Um, that that is a, a very very important tributary that's now been set up. It's been actually called the last great uh, hydrocarbons um, a pipeline that's going to be constructed in the modern age uh, because that has been built uh, over capacity. It started delivering on the last day of last year, having already been okay. delivering eight BCM, billion cubic meters of gas, yeah. to Turkey a year. It's actually got the capacity for 30 billion cubic meters. And the hope is that oh. um, Azerbaijani Caspian gas is going to be joined um, by uh, Turkmen gas. And maybe if yeah. sanctions are relaxed with Iran, Iranian gas, you know, there's every yeah. possibility that this is going to be one of the major, major uh, arteries bringing diversification of energy supplies to Europe in the fullness of time. And as I say, it's already yes. living to an Italian interconnector and there's lots and lots of countries across along the way that actually serve to benefit from this. But this is partly one of the reasons for the, um, as I say, the fact that Russia itself did not stop, in my view, uh, this is one of the reasons that Russia did not stop Armenia from going to war. Firstly, they wanted to Pashinian maybe to actually fall on his own sword, and to because he had uh, he'd fallen out uh, with Russia, be vehemently anti-Russian. Yeah. But also, mm -hmm. they were not happy about Azerbaijan having actually, after ten years of wrangling, um, actually have constructed these pipelines. And with regard to rebuilding uh, conferences in the West, um, nobody can have any conferences at the moment. That's the problem. But certainly well, in the in certainly. the past, in the past, yeah. I've personally been involved with organising many many conferences, have you? business forums that about actually uh, uh, Western companies increasing their involvement with Azerbaijan in all areas of infrastructure. And I have no doubt that that is something that's going to happen in the fullness of time. And I think you mentioned it in our, you know, in our preliminary discussions. What about hydrogen? I know hydrogen is a big thing these days. Is is Azerbaijan going to be able to convert or to use its massive energy resources for this new green hydrogen? Well, the fact is that there are two there are two forms of hydrogen, um, and mm -hmm. and actually Azerbaijan lends itself to both because. Um, there is uh, there is um, blue hydrogen, which actually is uh, uh, some uh, is an element of uh, gas production. Okay. So obviously, Azerbaijan is producing plenty of gas, so uh, mm -hmm. that could actually lend to hydrogen manufacture. But also, mm -hmm. uh, there is uh, there is green hydrogen as well, and that comes from renewables. And Azerbaijan is blessed with wind power as you may probably know Baku is the city of winds yes um, I do <laughs> and, and then there is also a wave power because Azerbaijan is is located that Baku is actually on the largest lake in the world the Caspian yes. Sea um, and then there's also um, uh, and then and there's also solar. biomass and solar as well because uh, obviously Azerbaijan is blessed with uh, with many many sunny days which is one reason why the agriculture is so good sure. so uh, so there's every potential there that um, Azerbaijan is going to go heavily into renewables and in fact it's doing so at the moment 
Um, and one of the, there's been a slight reworking of the Azerbaijani government. One of the divisions explicitly um, is on renewable energy um, because that's they realize, good. That's good to see. Yeah. Because uh, as you know, and, and you know, I'm, I've been involved in in trade development in, in different countries, and especially those that are, are heavily reliant uh, on 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 gas and 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 petrol revenues. Uh, the diversification of the economy, uh, these type of economies, is key. Uh, to going forward and renewables should play a big part of that and become part of their energy mix so they would be only advantageous as you know I think you've pointed out already that to have this balance and not only solely rely on gas and and, and petrol but to have these uh, renewable sources as you know we go towards this 2030 uh, green new deal uh, that some of these former Soviet Union uh, countries also can come up to par and and go forward with some cleaner energies and and you know the whole round solution of making your country and life more uh, healthy and and prosperous for its citizens so um, we've sort of touched on this last part but I can imagine that uh, this peace treaty so will there be actual bilateral ties then between Azerbaijan and Armenia the fact is that theoretically, yes, um, but uh, the reality is that uh, the two sides at the moment remain very polarised. Um, one of the things I should have said about most recent developments is that Armenia is still breaking the ceasefire. I see. Despite the Russian peacekeepers being in place. So, um, how long are they staying, by the way? Do you know, Neil? Five, five years in the first five term, years. Um, and then there's going to be, uh, yes, so five years, and then they will reconsider mm -hmm. the situation. And to the extent to which people not so living together, but mm -hmm. certainly tolerating each other. Um, so, uh, so yeah, so there's, but, um, so th they're not going to be working together on anything particularly soon, but there are two things that are going to come into play, I think. Mm -hmm. Firstly, there is who's behind the two sides. So uh, the fact good. is, as we all know, that Armenia does not uh, exist on its own. It lives with Russian assistance. So if Russia says to Armenia, um, it's got to uh, it's got to actually work with Azerbaijani. I guess with the, probably with gritted teeth, it's going to. And there's also the situation that in the past, Azerbaijanis and Armenians did live together. They lived alongside each they other. They married each other. There are thirty thousand. Um, Armenian women who are living in Azerbaijan with no problem with prejudice or anything of that nature. And it's known that they are, are Armenian, but they are living mm. there happily. And uh, and the two sides did actually get along, and particularly in terms of business. So if some of the um, some of the current problems, and of course this is all still very very fresh, of course, if some of, course. of if some of these these current problems can be actually overcome. Uh, then I think that we could actually see them working on business projects together and through business comes understanding. So, And uh, which leads me to my last question because we're almost ready to wrap this up. Oh. The Silk Road. Yeah. How will this bring back, uh, maybe bring them two together, the two sides together to you know, work together as the Silk Road comes through, as it came through many years or centuries ago, uh, as you know, and uh, this uh, type of economy what we call the war economy then can hopefully be transformed into uh, hopefully a market-based economy that will be benefit beneficial for all but i'd like to get your take on the silk road and how do you see uh, the silk road coming to the region 
Well, actually, Azerbaijan for several years now has been talking about the new Silk Road. Um, and it's done a lot, it's actually pledged a lot of money into actually recreating this, into it, particularly into constructing um, a rail link that goes from China to Europe. Um, and in fact, the whole of that is run by ADY, which is Azerbaijani Railways. Yes. Um, and uh, this, this, I think that the war is going to assist with this because uh, ultimately we've seen Azerbaijan and Turkey and all Turkey countries working together well for the first time, uh, for, for the first time in many years. Um, and that means that there is the great potential there for the great Turkestan to work together. And that ultimately means that the, the, new, the new Silk Road becomes much more of reality because all the governments are seen to be actually singing off the same hymn sheet, working together. Wow. And there, as I say, there's this road link that's been structured, but also uh, rail links as well between, uh, as I say, between China and, and the West. So I think there's every potential Wonderful. that this is going to come to pass, yes. Well, I'm glad we can end it on a, on a positive note. In other words, make trade, not war. Absolutely, yes. As I say, trade leads to understanding. Exactly. And, 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 that's and, and mutual benefits, Absolutely. I think. Right? You know, Armenia itself has actually achieved great disbenefits uh, from maintaining this AMPAS for nearly 30 years. Um, and it's not actually benefited at all from any of the oil and gas pipelines constructed during that time. So um, if it can actually now be part of that, um, it will sure. be better for the region. Absolutely. All right. Well, thank you so much. Uh, we have a few minutes left for questions. I see we have a few guests that have joined us since you began. So we can now open up uh, the floor to questions if there are any. Any questions? Well, I guess you must have been perfectly crystal clear, Neil. <laughs> I must have been. And so complete. <laughs> and so complete in your... In, in your presentation. Thank you so much. No, it's an absolute pleasure. Um, it's, a, it's a pivotal time, so let's hope for the best for the region. Indeed. All right. I guess I will stop there and thank you so much for joining me, Neil, and our guests today uh, in this discussion about the uh, second Armenian Azerbaijani Nagorno Karabakh conflict and what its international geopolitical implications are and will be. Thank you so much. Thank you very much indeed, Ellen. Have a good day. Thank you, Neil. <laughs>